2023 is here and it's time to plan out your goals to get in the shape of your life this year. Maybe you started your journey this past year or maybe you're looking to make 2023 the year you get the results you've always dreamed of. And if you are, I want to help you. I've been a health and fitness coach for almost a decade now. I've helped thousands of people often online get in the shape of their life and drop the kilos they've been wanting to shed for years. I've helped people transform their bodies, their health, and their minds. And most importantly, I've shown them how they can maintain this on a long-term basis. As your coach, I take care of everything within your health and fitness journey, your training, your nutrition, your cardio, supplementation, etc. But I also look at your journey from a holistic perspective and address your stress, your sleep, your mindset, and ensure you have everything you need to achieve your results. If you're ready to make this the year you get the results you truly want, fill in the application form in the description below. It'll only take you two minutes and I'll be in touch for us to book in a call so we can plan out your journey and put some clear goals in place. If you have any questions about the coaching, feel free to email me or DM me on Instagram, which is at Elliot Hassoon. I'm excited to hear from you and excited to help you transform your body, health, and mind in 2023. Hello team and welcome back to episode 346 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Zaina Muktabi. Zaina is a functional nutritionist and a certified functional medicine practitioner. It's easy to think that our health just comes down to the food that we eat and the exercise that we do. However, outside of the world of calories, macros, and the gym, there's usually a lot more going on that we don't acknowledge as much as we should. Our gut health, our blood sugar, our hormones all make an enormous difference when it comes to being healthy and usually are the key to many of the challenges that we face. And that's exactly what Zaina and I discussed today. In this episode, you can expect to learn what is gut health and why it could be the cause of your bloating and the many other digestive issues that you may be facing, why women might want to try circadian fasting instead of intermittent fasting, along with how the stress you're experiencing on a day-to-day basis may be holding you back from achieving your health and fitness goals. So without further ado, Zaina Muktabi. Zaina, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm happy to be here. I am very well, thank you. And I am very excited to be speaking with you. We just spoke just before we got on about how we've been having a back and forth conversation to have this podcast and have this talk for a little while. So I'm glad that we're finally making it happen. So for those who may have not come across yourself before or the work that you do, can you give us a bit of context and background about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, so I'm a nutritionist with um, functional medicine training. So I, I, I do my practice of nutrition, not in the classical way, but also through a functional medicine approach. Um, I've been uh, in this field for over 10 years. Uh, it's my passion. I love uh, everything to do with nutrition and health and um, how to build a, a healthy lifestyle in a really realistic approach. And uh, I'm based in Dubai. Amazing. I want to pick out a few of those points that you mentioned there. First is functional medicine. We haven't dived too deep into that topic on this podcast just yet. So can you give the listeners a little bit of context of what functional medicine really means compared to traditional medicine? Yeah, for sure. So functional medicine, I think, is more about uh, treating the body as a whole, as a whole rather than as systems. So, you know, when you go to the doctor, if there's something wrong with your stomach, you go to the gastroenterologist. Or if you want to check your thyroid or something around your hormones, you go to the endocrinologist. But they, these doctors don't necessarily speak to each other. So they're treating 
the, the specific system or the organ or the issue that you have. Uh, but in the end of the day, our body is connected and everything is connected to. So if there's something wrong with your gut, there could be something wrong with your hormones. You know, there's, there's a, there's a connection there. And, um, so generally with traditional medicine, you, you get your, you know, your result, you're given a medicine and you're, you're told you're going to be fine, use this medicine and that's it. But you're not really treating the root cause of why did you, why are you suffering from this to begin with? Because if you just treat it with the medicine, you stop the medicine, you continue with your habits or your diet or the lifestyle that you have. It, it's very likely that whatever you're complaining of is going to return or it's not going to recur unless you really treat the root cause. So with functional medicine, that's really the approach is really to understand the person from a holistic standpoint and to help address the conditions or the issues from a whole system approach, like everything. What, how are your habits or your diet leading to the conditions that you have? And of course, there's a place and a role for medicine and traditional medicine and, and medication. For sure, I'm not negating that at all. But for majority of, you know, cr chronic conditions that we see, like gut health, um, hormonal imbalance, type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, weight gain, these are things that are um, more about your habits and your lifestyle and your diet rather than a simple medicine that you can take and treat it. Yeah, I love that. I think it's a super, super healthy mindset for us to have. And what I really appreciate is that many people, when they go down the route of functional medicine, they're like, functional medicine is the only thing you need. You don't need any form of pharmaceutical yeah. interventions or any type of doctors or anything like that. So it's nice that you've got a blend between the two. You recognize that maybe from time to time, there's going to be a need for those type of things. But generally, the majority of the time, if we go to the root, if we go to look what's caused this issue in the first place, we have a way to essentially solve the issue or at least be on our way to being a lot healthier and that issue being far less of a problem. And you mentioned that this is your passion. You've been in it for the past 10 years or so. Where did that all begin? What sparked your interest in this area of nutrition it isn't just nutrition in the traditional sense but it's like a really deep level of nutrition why was that for you so i mean it i mean it started i guess with um my mom she was a big influence uh at home she was she always had an interest in health and nutrition and she would get all these magazines and you know readers digest at the time was big <laughs> growing up so it was always about the top five foods that are rich in vitamin c or the top five foods for anti-aging or you know all these titles were all around me and she would always be talking about that she was a big she was big on home cooking she was big on always um, uh, you know, giving us healthy food and whole food. So that was really like the general uh, atmosphere I was growing up in. Uh, but then also, um, as with many teenage girls, I went through a bout of, you know, being a little chubbier, overweight, uh, and um, uh, with all the hormonal changes that girls go through at that time. So um, I did find myself in need of support, to, to lose weight. I, I was really frustrated at one point. And I went to see a dietitian and she gave me a, a diet, a meal plan to follow. And it was very uh, realistic, very customized to, to me. It was not uh, restrictive at all. 
and and you know she had her own office and so i remember that time clearly that i want to do what she's doing you know and i got results i lost weight i felt good i got my confidence back i was like 16 17 so you know that age is very <laughs> critical for for us Absolutely. growing up um and so i think that's where it really sparked i was sure that i wanted to do nutrition uh, in college, it was the easiest choice. You know, some people struggle with what am I going to, what am I going to study when I move to university? I don't know. I haven't decided to go in major list, but for me, it was a straight, uh, clear decision that I wanted to do in nutrition. And then my, you know, and then the, the, the passion just kept growing and, and functional medicine became a term. It wasn't really known back then. Uh, and so I just, I'm always curious, always keen to learn more and expand my knowledge and, I did my certification in functional medicine nutrition. It's amazing that you had such a great example on someone who inspired you to essentially become who you are today in many senses from a career standpoint, at least. Sometimes it's quite the opposite. We meet someone who maybe pushes us in the opposite direction of having healthy nutrition, or we go see a coach, whether it's within fitness or sport, and then they make us dislike the sport or exercise, for example. So how incredible it was that you got an example of that person. Do you still keep in touch with her? Do you still know what she's doing now? No, actually, it's, yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, while you were saying that, I was thinking that it would have been nice if I uh, can, can, you know, can tell her that, <laughs> but it was a while ago. And then, yeah, I don't, I don't, have contact with her now but yeah she did inspire me for sure <laughs> that's amazing i'm sure she can feel the impact of what she's done for you and do you work with younger women at this moment in time as well you mentioned you went as a nutritionist at 16 17 years old do you work with younger women going through that kind of struggle that you had at your age i've had a few clients in that age range but mostly it's women my age or you know between 35 and and 45 that's generally the the age range i had I work with. Um, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So working a wide range of women, those women at that age, I, I work with a lot of them as well. And they find that almost nothing seems to work. And they've gone through many, many different diets. They've gone through many exercise regimes and everything along those lines. Where do you go with those type of women that you work with who feel like they've tried everything? They're kind of almost ready to give up in a sense. What's your first approach with them to look into? Because of the one thing I want to say, actually, before I do dive into that question is that sometimes the approach of functional medicine and going down that route can seem a little slower compared to the conventional route. So that would be the challenge I might say that you could face, maybe not in the way that they feel, but maybe in the way that they look, I find that potentially weight loss could be a little bit slower. And as the generation that we are now, we want things very, very fast. So how do you navigate someone who's kind of ready to give up and also who's maybe needs to be prepared for this journey to take a year, if not longer, for them to really get what they want from this. Yeah, spot on. I mean, it, it is a it is a journey, and I like that you called it that. And um, I think the first step is to work on the mindset and to really understand why, what is it that they're looking for and why do they want to do that? Why do they want to lose weight? Why do they, is it, you know, it could be for any reason, but it's good to, um get to their motivation and also to get to their why because that's what's going to keep them consistent because it's a journey because it's about lifestyle habits it's about changing ways that you are your routines that you are maybe used to the habits that you are used to and also breaking fads and myths that you've you know gathered over time from the internet from people word of mouth from people just saying things and so you gather all these 
things that you think are facts and you're trying to do everything at the same time. Um, so trying to break that, that, those myths and also the, the traditional calorie counting approach, which I, I don't like, uh, because it's also very restrictive, very, it, it adds more to stress. And what I try to do with all the clients I work with is to reduce, we, we already have a lot of stress in life. So your habits, your diet, your nutrition should be something that's filling your cup, that's helping you to feel good rather than giving you even more stress, waking up and feeling that you need to stop doing things. It's more about what can you add to your lifestyle? What can you add to your plate? What can you add to your routine that will make you feel good and get you closer to your goals rather than stop this and stop that and count the calories and, you know, don't do this and don't go out. Don't see your friends, you know, like all of that kind of restrictive behavior. I try, that's the first thing I like to like, uh, kind of make them feel good about that. This is not the approach we're going to take that it's, uh, you know, baby steps, also not to do everything at the same time, and also to really tap into their why and to keep that as their motivation to to keep going on and to be consistent. Yeah, it sounds very refreshing. And I'm sure they're very receptive, given the fact that it's probably not something they're used to being told before either as well. So it's great that you can go through that route with them. And I'm sure it leads to them being very like, ah, you know, at least... I might not be seeing the same five kilo drop I did in two months like I did before, but at least I can genuinely see this being maintained for the next six months to a year, which is kind of what the place that people get to, right? They get to a stage where they're like, I don't really care how long it takes. I just want something to work and I want something to work long term, right? So it might be, yeah, a good mindset for them to be in when they get to you on that front. And also I always, to to add on to, to that, is that I always... Uh, tell them that weight loss is a byproduct. Like it's a, it's a consequence of leading your, you know, of fixing your habits and, and teaching you how to eat rather than the main goal. Because there are many other things that they're probably doing that's working against their goals. And once you just fix that and get your body into homeostasis or just, you know, like doing the right things, giving it time and the weight will eventually, uh, go down. So it's not the main motive. It's not the main goal. It's not what we're going for. Absolutely. And I always say you never see someone who's got optimized sleep, who's eating super well, they are exercising regularly, they're keeping their stress low, they're hydrating and all these things. You never see those people out of shape, right? So as you mentioned, it's a byproduct of doing those things, optimizing your body for that result. And then it actually is finally able to actually see some weight loss, the weight loss it wanted to see rather than putting you in a super heavy calorie deficit because you're super high stress. And that's the only way to shed the weight, but the health isn't getting any better in the process. So yeah, we're definitely aligned on that front. With that being said, I want to kind of zoom out a little bit more because we haven't spoken too much about gut health on this podcast, not in a great level of detail either. So can you give us a snapshot of what that means to you and why it's so important to optimize the health of our gut? Yeah. So I'll, uh, uh, I'll start with the quote from Hippocrates, like almost 2000 years ago. And he said, all disease begins in the gut. And Current research has shown that that is, couldn't be more true, uh, because we're actually more, more bacteria and viruses than we are human genes. If you think about the amount of bacteria and what we call the microbiome, which is primarily bacteria, virus, and fungi that live in our gut. And 
uh, there's like more of them than human <laughs> human cells. Uh, so you wonder who's the carrier? Is it like us? being the carrier for them or are we, you know, um, and they affect everything in our body. They affect our immunity, our digestion, the way we metabolize and absorb nutrients, our hormones, our blood sugar balance, our anxiety. There's a great connection between gut and mind, uh, the gut brain axis. So um, really everything starts from there. 70% of your immunity uh, is from the gut. 90% of your serotonin or your feel-good, happy hormones are produced from by the gut bacteria. Uh, they produce byproducts that help to lower inflammation. Um, autoimmune diseases are uh, have been shown to be, you know, a cause of imbalance in your gut uh, bacteria. So anytime you have a dysbiosis or an imbalance between your healthy gut bacteria and your unhealthy gut bacteria, so there's an imbalance. There's more of the unhealthy type or there's less of the good ones, you can start seeing uh, an impact on your weight, on obesity, type 2 diabetes, inflammation, um, you know, mood disorders, uh, and hormonal imbalance, thyroid hormone imbalance, hypothyroidism. So, so yeah, so it really is the, the starting point whenever I work with anyone is to look at their gut to understand how is their digestion working. And when we talk about the gut, so... Your gut starts from, you know, your, your mouth all the way to, uh, the, uh, the end of your large intestine. So, um, that, that's all our, our gut. So it's our intestines, it's the stomach, it's our liver, it's, um, our pancreas. And the majority of our gut bacteria live in the large intestine. And that's where, so our diet and our habits will impact if they are in balance and if they are, you know, thriving and helping us to be healthier, or if we are going to have conditions like any autoimmune disease, any weight gain, um, and other conditions. I'm glad you gave us a way to kind of contextualize and visually think about what the gut is, because I think that really confuses a lot of people. They're like, is it just my stomach? But you kind of explain it as the entire digestive process, so to speak. Correct. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And then when we talk about gut bacteria, you know, so there's the gut, so there's the digestive um, system, which is like our, uh, the organs, but then there's also um, the bacteria that's living in our gut, which we call another organ because they are so influential to the whole process of our digestion and metabolism and, and immunity and so forth. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you assess the state of someone's gut. How do you go about doing that? from looking at a client and also how would one look at that themselves? Yeah. So I like to start with, um, you know, a health history, like how do they eat? How, what is their, what is their lifestyle like? What are their habits like? How do they sleep? Cause you mentioned optimal sleep, which is crucial and foundational. Um, you know, how, how do they live their, how is their life daily? Are they mostly indoors, outdoors? What do they eat? What's on their plate? Um, uh, when do they eat, which is very important as well. So just not, not just what, but when. I want to touch on that later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, all of that. So, you know, like a diet history and nutrition history, but also habits, uh, and then also symptoms. So before we even go into testing, I think those two parts, so what they, what they eat and what they do and how they're feeling, uh, are very indicative of your gut health and can really tell 
what a person is going through. Like if there's a lot of constipation or bloating or distension or, you know, acid reflux. Uh, these are all different signs and symptoms of an imbalance in the gut or something that's not going right. Uh, so before we even go into testing, whether it's a blood test to understand um, how nourished a person is, you know, if they have any um, like uh, uh, deficiencies in vitamins or in minerals, that can be an indication that you're not absorbing well because it's not just about metabolizing your food or digesting. It's also about how are you absorbing that food and gut bacteria and your gut health plays a big role in that. Um, and, and then there's also stool tests. So if there's a condition where, or, or a resistance, so we work together, uh, it, there's, it's, things are not, still not in place. That's where maybe a stool test comes into play. There's a great test, uh, which is the GI map. It gives you uh, a full, uh, idea of what is going on in the gut, what kind of imbalances are there from the fungus or viruses or bacteria. And from there, you can know whether someone's going through um, dysbiosis or, you know, an imbalance or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or, and they need extra support with probiotics and other kind of protocols. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So there's Definitely, I'd say about 70% of people who you're able to just literally spot from how they feel. Just about everyone you can speak to will say that, unfortunately, of course, but they are experiencing some form of bloating, distension, some form of constipation, some form of digestive challenge, which we are all very, very aware of. And then the second aspect, which probably fills in the other 25% of people is also the people who then also experience the challenge of some form of insufficiency or deficiency, you know, when they look at their blood work. And as you came back to at the very start, it's like, you know, the automatic solution is like, okay, well, you lack vitamin D, let's give you a vitamin D supplement. But it's actually not asking the question of, well, why are we not getting those nutrients in the first place? And that's why, firstly, it's important to look at the food to make sure they're consuming enough of the right foods to get those nutrients. And the second aspect, as you mentioned, is to make sure they actually absorb and they metabolize those foods correctly for the body to actually take those nutrients, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Because the, the gut plays a big role. I mean, you could be eating um, a very healthy diet, but if you have an imbalance in your gut bacteria or you have very low stomach acid or, you know, you're not releasing enough digestive enzymes, those are all reasons for, for your, for you not to be properly absorbing all those nutrients. So you're eating a healthy diet, but you're still suffering from iron deficiency or you're still not properly digesting your protein. So there's, you know, there's many other, many things that we can do before testing, uh, to understand what's wrong with, with, and why they're, they're going through what they're going through. And, and mitigate or, or fixing that with diet and, and habits and lifestyle. 100%. You mentioned the lack of absorption of protein there. And that's an interesting one because I know a lot of people come to me off the back of maybe plant based lifestyles or super low protein diets. Is there any chance that they're protein enzymes in terms of their protease is super low because they've not consumed it for maybe their lifetime. And then they get to a stage where they're finally increasing their protein that they have troubles with absorbing it and really making the most of the protein that they're consuming. I would say the most, uh, the most common reason for people not to be properly digesting protein is low stomach acid. So yeah, so stomach acid is very, very important. You know, you usually you think, okay, if I have, um, 
uh, high stomach acid, that means I'm going to have reflux. It's going to cause all those issues. But actually, it's the, the opposite is true. When you have low stomach acid, that's when you have reflux and you have distension, bloating, and indigestion of protein. Um, because we need strong stomach acid to, uh, to break down those big protein chains. So the, the, you know, protein comes in, in long chains of amino acids. We need to activate protease and all the other digestive enzymes to help break down protein. So we need good, strong stomach acid. And the reason why most people suffer from low stomach acid is because it's directly correlated to high stress. So we are living in a very stressful environment. And stress can be real stress, like real mental stress, whether it's, you know, like your work or, or a relationship or a deadline or, you know, like the pandemic or, you know, worldly events that are causing you stress mentally. But it can also be uh, stress that you're putting your body under, which is lack of sleep, over-exercising, not eating enough, um, uh, yeah, go, like blue light or, or being on your phone for too long, um, not going outdoors, not being in the sunshine, not being in nature. These are all different forms of stress that we don't realize. You know, we just are on the go, go, go. We want to do more. Uh, you know, being busy is a sign of like success. And so all of this actually acts negatively to, on our bodies. And one of the main things is this low stomach acid that people start getting indigestion and start getting uh, acid reflux. So they actually pop a antacid, right? It, it's one of the most common medications that people take is like an acid blocker because they think they have, but that's actually working against them because they're lowering their stomach acid even more. So they're in this continuous cycle of um, indigestion, they're not properly digesting their protein, and they're also not properly di the, um, absorbing uh, zinc, iron, uh, essential minerals, and their amino acids that they need. So that's one example of, of gut health and how it can impact your... And it makes a lot of sense, and this is the thing with this subject, which I absolutely love, is that sometimes it can seem a little bit esoteric and a little bit complicated, but once you actually start to think about the impact that it has, it all of a sudden makes a lot of sense. You're like, ah, okay, well, that does make sense, and that does apply to me. And the next question I want to ask you is the solutions. I want to go through how we can optimize gut health as a whole, but I also want to come back to the stomach acid side of things specifically, so I think that's going to help a lot of people. Aside from maybe just reducing our stress, of course, we should be doing that, and also maybe optimizing our lifestyles and make it make sure that we're recovering and giving our body the best chance of thriving. But are there any specific foods that you would recommend someone to introduce their diet if they are experiencing challenges with stomach acid? Yeah, for sure. So, so just to touch on the point of stress, I mean, we talk about it a lot and we say, yeah, reduce your stress. But I find that that's the most challenging thing that anybody can, can do. You know, we, we can talk about, and I will, I will share like the, the things that you can eat or introduce to, to support your stomach acid, but uh, don't underestimate the power of reducing your stress. And that can be, you know, with meditation, with belly deep belly breathing, being outdoors in nature, um, but also optimizing your sleep, really important, optimizing your circadian rhythm. So sleeping and waking up at the same time, making sure you're getting enough of that deep uh, restful sleep. Uh, but also, so immediate things that you can do, like to, to just to make people feel better and, and help with, with promoting stomach acid is actually to drink lemon juice and water like 10 minutes before your meal. 
I would also add maybe apple cider vinegar because lemon juice and apple cider vinegar help to trigger your, uh, the, the stomach to release stomach, uh, stomach acid, basically. So it's a very, it's a very nice tool to introduce, uh, just before your meal to have like, uh, uh, you know, dilute, of course, dilute the lemon juice or the apple cider vinegar in water because you don't want to have that much acidity in, in one uh, shot, but you dilute it in water and sip it before the meal and then throughout the meal you can have small sips but that's going to really help with uh, increasing your stomach acid especially with a high protein meal mm, i love that advice it's very very practical and like you said let's not overlook the things that we should be doing as well because someone be like oh well, zayn has given me the hack to help my stomach acid now i don't need to go and uh, reduce my stress anymore exactly yeah <laughs> i just needed to, i needed to say that yes both of those and actually reducing stress uh, act, you know, helps more on the long term because you you wanna you wanna you wanna overall help the body to to be in that uh, restful time because the optimal way to digest food is to be in the parasympathetic nervous state, which is the rest and digest. That's when your body is calm and all the energy and all the um, blood flow is going to your digestive system to help with digestion. If you are eating in a stressed state, when you're rushed and your, your mind is all over the place, your, your body is not prioritizing digestion. It's prioritizing breathing because it's stressed, right? So it's mm -hmm. prioritizing, uh, blood flow to the muscles or to your breathing, to your heart rate, but not to digestion. And that's when we feel where we have um, more indigestion we, and less stomach acid. So I would say besides drinking your lemon and, or vinegar water, it's also n try to eat when you are not stressed. So n away from your desk, away from your emails, not while you're doing work, um, but try to be in a restful place, sitting down, not in a rush in between calls or in the car or, you know, something like that. Uh, even if it's going to delay your meal by half an hour, but I would prefer that you wait and be calmer rather than eat in a rush, but just because it's like time to eat and I'm super hungry. Um, because that's going to really help us as well with uh, stomach acid and overall digestion. Yeah, it does make a huge, huge difference. Since I found the link between stress and my digestion so vividly like i really do find that any moment in which i find myself in like a higher stress situation like the first thing that starts to be causing problems is my stomach like all of a sudden like everything just feels terrible down there and anything that i eat it doesn't matter whether i'm eating the most beautifully optimized meal it's just like it's going to be the same impact so that has been very vivid for me and it's very obvious that things need to be kept in a good place otherwise i'm not going to be utilizing those foods as much as possible and the second aspect is nature as well i think that one's really overlooked i remember going on a hike and it'd been a while since i'd been spending that much time like out in the green out in nature i did a hike for three or four hours i got back to the city like i had a shower i got home and i was like i feel like i've literally just had a massage like I feel it's just very light and very good and like I had those two vivid moments for me like the first time I noticed the link between my stress and my digestion and also kind of that nature bathing let's let's call it for for lack of a better term and so the way I felt after that were two big signals to me I was like okay well my body actually really appreciates being in a low stress state and eating and it also really appreciates being out in nature as well so those things were very very eye-opening to me and I want to go into some other ways in which we can optimize our gut health as well so can you talk us through some of those things outside of the ones i just mentioned that you've mentioned so far yeah so optimizing gut health um 
number one is uh, what you what you eat, right? Because what we eat is feeding our gut bacteria, and if so. We're born with a set of bacteria. We usually inherit that from our mom, from the placenta, from uh, the way we were, you know, when we're born, we're exposed to different things. We start accumulating or building our microbiome or the gut bacteria that lives in our, in our intestines. Um, so the more we're exposed as kids to, you know, playing in the dirt back to the point about nature, but, you know, we're, we're starting to grow up in a very sanitary, very like, um, clean environment. And yes, it's good. We're not getting sick anymore from, you know, like exposure to that many bacteria, but also we're losing that exposure that we build our resilience and build that healthy gut bacteria in our guts. So these are things, you know, we're, we're adults now, so we can't go backwards in time and like <laughs> change the way we grew up. But now we have our set of, of gut bacteria. We want to keep our healthy gut bacteria thriving and reduce the dysbiosis or the imbalance or the unhealthy bacteria from taking over. So the number one thing I would say is fiber and polyphenols. So fiber is all the fiber that we get from vegetables, fruits, legumes, um, uh, nuts and seeds. Um, and that really, it's what we call prebiotics. So it's the fiber, which are, these are called prebiotics. And this is what the bacteria feed on and they thrive on that. Um, and then polyphenols. Polyphenols are what gives colors to the fruits and vegetables. These deep purple, red, orange colors that we see in berries or in carrots or in, you know, like butternut squash and all the lovely vegetables and fruits, but these also help uh, feed the gut bacteria. So these are two essential um, foods or nutrients that we need to include in our day, every day in our diet and in a diverse way. So not like eat the same type of fruit every day and the t same type of vegetable every day, but try to have a diversity because each type of fruit and vegetable has a different type of fiber and a different type of polyphenol that feeds our gut bacteria. And these are like, this is, I would say, the, the, the key, the, the foundational, the first foundational, um, uh, tip to, to support gut health. The second is to also eat that gut bacteria. So try to eat those bacteria, live, um, bacteria, which is probiotics. So we're very familiar with probiotics through pills, through supplements. But actually the best form of probiotics is what occurs naturally in our food, such as, uh, yogurt, such as um, fermented uh, foods like sauerkraut or kimchi uh, or fermented beetroot, so any fermented food, kefir, which is fermented yogurt. These are excellent to add into your diet because they help to build more of that healthy gut bacteria. So let's say you went on a uh, you had to go on a, a course of antibiotics. You basically killed all the bacteria that's living in your gut, the healthy and the unhealthy, which is good. You needed to get rid of the unhealthy one. You're feeling healthier now, but you need to re-inoculate or like reintroduce healthy bacteria back to your gut. And that's through eating probiotic foods and also prebiotic foods, which are the fibers and the polyphenols to help that bacteria thrive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember a coach telling me a while ago, like the best way to think about this, and I'm glad we touched on this because of taking antibiotics is such a normal thing. And I think many of us forget like what impact that can genuinely have. I know that in the past I've needed to take it and almost my like, 
resistance to taking it just due to the fact that like I only take it if I know like there's a very serious thing going on where I really need it. Otherwise, I'm like I'm gonna try and park this as much as I can because of literally the way that I was described described to me is like imagine you've got a football pitch, you've got a lot of beautiful grass, you know the way that's your gut right now with all the bacteria and how that's being populated and then it's almost like an asteroid comes in which is the antibiotics it wipes everything out and it's amazing because there might be in a bad patch of grass but at the same time it took out everything it did just take out the bad it took out the great which is amazing but now we're just left with this kind of empty layer so we're not going to be super optimized to be able to you know bring in the foods and handle things as well as we used to we actually have to go through the process of like you mentioned repopulating planting those seeds again and then building up that layer of grass so i'm glad that you mentioned that and what is your approach for people you as you obviously mentioned eating pro and prebiotic foods what else can people do when they've maybe just come off a course of antibiotics so after a course of antibiotics actually during the course of uh, while you're taking antibiotics i always recommend to also have a probiotic supplement because you're not going to be able to eat that much probiotic foods like, you know, kefir and like there's only that much you can have of sauerkraut a day and you're, you're taking high doses of antibiotics. So I would also recommend that people take a probiotic, uh, with, with the antibiotic during the course and maybe a month or two months after just to make sure that you're repopulating, uh, and fighting off, you know, the, the effect of the antibiotic. Uh, but then also focusing on, plant diversity. Um, you need to aim for 30 different types of plants a week. So, you know, 30 different types. That means you need to have, you know, different types of fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and legumes throughout that week. That's the, that's how much diversity your body needs and your gut bacteria needs so that they can thrive and, and grow and stay optimal and kill off the uh, imbalance fight of the imbalance. So in addition to that, of course, you want to, I don't like to always say you have to stop this, but there are some things that you need to reduce, like too much processed foods, too much simple sugars, because that's going to feed the unhealthy gut bacteria. So you don't want to, you want to keep that right balance. Um, so reduce it because I know, you know, life is also about pleasure and it's a realistic approach. Sometimes you go out, sometimes you're invited to a party, there's a piece of cake. It's not that you don't want to have that and feel really restricted, but it's about, you know, the 80-20 rule, right? So 80% of the time you're eating healthy, you're having your plant diversity, you're having um, healthy balanced meals, but and then you're reducing your intake of the simple sugars and the processed foods. And, um, you know, processed foods come with, uh, these inflammatory seed oils and emulsifiers and additives that all act against uh, gut health and gut and your gut bacteria. Absolutely. So plenty of takeaways that we can apply there. I think people are thinking now, how am I possibly going to get 30 different types of plants in my diet? But I'm sure that like, if you just get started with, like you said, just kind of, if you're going down the roots of thinking, well, yeah, what nuts am I having? What seeds am I having? What fruit, what veg? And maybe can I bump this up by one or two more? I think it then would make quite a difference, right? I think maybe we underestimate how much, I mean, if we are on some form of a, a journey at this moment in time in our health and fitness, we can probably recognize that we are getting a fair few. And then, like you said, it's probably just that jump to pushing up a little bit more. And honestly, I, I mean, it is, you're right. It is not easy to, to think about how am I going to have 30 different types? And there's two ways that I love 
and I find easy to a way two ways that I find easy to include more vegetables or fruits in your diet is through smoothies mm. and through salads because in a smoothie you can throw in so much uh, in in one drink right so you can throw in your celery your cucumber spinach you know cauliflowers steamed zucchini these are all different things that you can add into a smoothie it's not going to give too much of a vegetable flavor you know it's still going to taste good when you add berries and like half an apple or a banana as well and then you can throw in some flax seeds and there you have you've already finished like six of those different types of uh, fruits and vegetables you know uh, and salads as well is another way because you can really mix up with your leafy greens uh, you can do a mix of roasted and raw vegetables as well on top and you can always add in sprinkle other types of seeds like pumpkin seeds or sunflower seeds hemp seeds chia seeds these are all different um plants you know and they they also add in the variety and so smoothies and salads and another thing is also a loose uh, loose tea leaves because they're also herbs these are also types of plants and that's a great way to also introduce um, uh, these herbs into your diet in a form of like, you know, you can brew uh, some tea leaves like nettle or uh, marshmallow root or peppermint tea leaves or anything that you like and all, you know, have a mix of those. And that's another way of introducing some diversity in your diet. That's some great tips, really, really great takeaways. And I like the, the smoothie and salad idea because if you're right, you can actually add anywhere between like three and 10 ingredients to both of those. And you might even knock out at least 50 to 60 to 70% of your day just by doing both of those. So smoothies, salad and teas yeah. is a good way to get that. And I like that a lot. Transitioning from gut health over to another very important thing that's not often spoke about too much until there's the need to discuss it and there's the need to potentially put medication around it and treatment around it is our hormonal health. Once again, it's only one of those times where we go to the doctor and they're like, okay, well, this is looking a little bit low if they're kind enough to even mention that because sometimes their low ranges are so low while well, their ranges are so low that we don't even get informed that it's actually on the very low end but it's still within the range and that's another story for another day but i want you to go through hormonal health because you touch on that a lot in the work that you do why is it so important for us to have optimal hormonal health and what are the things right now in our lifestyles that are causing us to be imbalanced in many areas of that so when we say hormonal health you know hormones it's a big word and it covers a lot of different hormones and some people might think only of the sex hormones like estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, something some might think of thyroid hormones. So these are all hormones. The main hormone, two, two main hormones that I would start with are cortisol and insulin because these are the main hormones that impact all the other hormones, I, I would say. So like I was saying in the beginning, everything in the body is connected and our hormones are, are all impacting each other and influencing the each other. And the two main hormones, like I said, is cortisol and insulin. So if we start with insulin, it's all about, you know, so insulin is, is the hormone that's released when you eat uh, food, especially carbohydrates, your blood sugar goes up, insulin goes up to take in the sugar into your cells so we can use it for energy. So it's a natural process that happens in the body. So most of the time people have an imbalance in their blood sugar 
it either goes really down or goes really high from the type of food that they're eating. And so this causes an imbalance in your insulin and this causes insulin resistance and over time possibly leads to diabetes. Um, how insulin also impacts uh, other hormones is through cortisol. So cortisol is our stress hormone. And when we are stressed, rushing, you know, perceived or real stress, um, our cortisol goes up. It also impacts uh, our blood sugar. It causes our blood sugar to go up. It causes our insulin to go up. So you'll see, so there's a pattern here. If you're stressed, it's going to cause an imbalance in your blood sugar, which is going to cause a release of insulin. And, uh, and over time, if that's constant, you'll have this insulin resistance and, and, um, and all the other conditions that could lead to that. Um, and also when you have low blood sugar or, or, um, or, uh, or high blood sugar. Yeah. So insulin can, can be released and also can impact your, your, your stress levels. So when, when we are stressed as well, when we have high cortisol, it's going to impact our progesterone as women. This is a key hormone that is calming, that is needed for fertility and for a proper and a normal cycle. Um, and when we are stressed, it impacts our progesterone because um, uh, what happens is the body uses... So it's the same compound used to... to, to um, progesterone is the, uh, the precursor of cortisol, okay? So... If we need, if the body needs to produce more cortisol, it's going to steal away from the progesterone. So you'll immediately have a reduction of progesterone and that's going to cause infertility and imbalance in your estrogen as well and, and imbalance in your sex hormones. Um, uh, also, when it comes to thyroid hormone, high stress directly impacts your, your thyroid hormones and reduces and causes low uh, thyroid hormone, the active hormone. So um, again, you'll see that there's a link between cortisol and thyroid. So it's really, a, you know, I'm trying not to overcomplicate it. <laughs> I don't want to lose um, the listeners, but basically all the hormones are connected. But when we, what we start with is your cortisol and your blood sugar balance and insulin, because those two can really impact the rest of your hormones. Absolutely. And can you run through how cortisol works? Because if I think a lot of us have got an idea that it is just this stress hormone, it should be avoided at all costs, but obviously it's required, right? Certain yes. spikes during the day, from my understanding, it spikes nice and early in the morning to help us get up and get started with the day. There's another spike and a few more spikes throughout the day, but eventually it should be going on kind of this downward curve. Can you explain the utility of cortisol and why it's actually important rather than us all fearing it? For, for sure, hundred percent. So cortisol is actually, when it, when it is in balance, it's actually very healthy, very protective. It's an, it acts as an anti-inflammatory. It helps us to repair. Uh, so it helps with, with, with metabolism as well. But again, when is, when it is in balance? And like you said, it needs to have, we need cortisol very high in the morning. We need to have this cortisol awakening response, which is a burst of cortisol two hours after waking up, which gets us out of bed, keeps us alert, helps us to start the day and function throughout the day. As the day progresses, cortisol should go down. So that melatonin, which is our sleep hormone, can go up because they're like a seesaw. If, if cortisol is high, melatonin is low, and the opposite. 
Um, so when cortisol is in imbalance, that's when it causes uh, certain conditions and it can be negative. And that's why people have this uh, perception that cortisol is bad because only when it is imba- in imbalance. So when we have very high cortisol at the wrong time of the day, uh, it can impact our blood sugar. So high cortisol causes excess blood sugar. Why? Because your body thinks it's under stress, it's under attack. So it taps into the muscles to release sugar into the blood so that we can um, get that energy from the sugar. So your blood sugar goes up and then uh, following insulin goes up and so on. So it actually um, causes an imbalance in blood sugar if there's really no need for that blood sugar. You know, if you're sitting on your desk and you're stressed because of something to do with work, there's no, there's no need for you to use energy, right? But there is a burst of cortisol and there is an increase in blood sugar in your, in your blood. Uh, but that, that sugar has nowhere to be used. So there's, you know, there's insulin and it's taken back up, but there is that imbalance that it's causing over time and your body starts resisting insulin and you, you end up with insulin resistance and, and inflammation and caused by high blood sugar. Um, so that's where cortisol imbalance can play a detrimental role. Also, when we have high cortisol um, and an imbalance in blood sugar, what happens is that you start eating into your, it, sorry, it starts hindering digestion. So your digestion starts slowing down because your body thinks it's under attack. So it moves blood away from the digestion and you start having a negative shift in your gut bacteria as well. So that's a cause for an imbalance in your gut bacteria, what we were saying, a dysbiosis in the gut bacteria. It just changes their, um, uh, changes them. Um, and also, High cortisol causes you to eat into your muscles because, especially as women, because you, if you haven't eaten anything and you're running on cortisol all the time, um, then your body taps into your muscles and tries to take energy from there. So you're kind of acting against your goals. You want to build more muscle. You want to have a higher metabolic rate. And with high cortisol, it can impact your metabolism that way. On that note, would you recommend intermittent fasting for women or would you not? I would recommend circadian fasting for women. And what that means is that you eat uh, the majority of your calories um, in the morning, which is when your body is most... uh, uh, active, most ready for digestion, your digestive fires, your stomach acid is most efficient. And you stop eating close to sunset, uh, because that's when your body is less efficient in digesting food and metabolizing food. And actually, it's when you want to rest and repair. So I would recommend, you know, um, having breakfast. And so if you, let's say you fast or you stop eating by 7pm at night, and you wake up 6 a.m., 7 a.m., and you have your breakfast by 8 a.m. So a 12 to 13 hour fast. Uh, that's what I would recommend for women, but not every day. And something that they can, you know, like build uh, up to towards a 13 hour fast. Um, not longer. I would not recommend longer than 14 hours. And when they do want to fast, I would recommend that it happens in their uh, follicular phase, which is 
at the first two weeks of their cycle, which is when the woman's body is more resilient to stress and can handle intermittent fasting because fasting is a stressor to the body. So um, uh, that's when I would recommend fasting. So I'm not against it. It's just changing the timing because usually traditional fasting is like you you still you you eat till eight or nine p.m. and you only you skip your breakfast and you you uh, wait to eat lunch, right? Um, and I. I'm a big, big fan of breakfast and I, it's my, the number one meal that women should have. <laughs> so I try to shift that kind of fasting. So you can get the benefits of fasting, which is, you know, getting the rest and repair for your gut, uh, helping with, um, better sleep, uh, but shifting that time so that you can still fast, but have breakfast at the same time. It's a big statement and I absolutely love it. Anytime I hear about, the impact of stress and cortisol and everything along those lines. And I spoke to a woman's health expert, I think it was maybe this time last year or a little bit later in the year. But basically what she was saying is that, you know, realistically, what we have is we have super high stress people going into a stressful physical state because they're going to train, they're doing the high intensity interval training in the morning, they're getting their kids ready for school or they're just going to work and that's super stressful. They're drinking coffee, which obviously caffeine is going to promote cortisol as well. And then they're fasting until midday and you're like, this is like a cocktail for a hormonal disaster and yeah. to be, I'm exaggerating a bit, but in the same sense, it's not going to be the most helpful thing. And people are like, well, I just want to be able to keep my calories within a nine hour window. And I'm like, yeah, that definitely is going to help you keep your calories in a nine hour window. But what is this first part of the day doing to you from a health perspective? And would it be far easier if you did just eat the food because you felt better, you felt less stressed and you, you felt this way. So anytime that someone says it to me, I'm like, I'm open for you to do what's best for you. But genuinely, as you know, as you mentioned as well, I prefer people to eat earlier in the day and finish the eating window early. I love that advice as well. And it's like, there's no reason why you can't do time restricted eating. You've just got to make sure that you're thinking about your body as well as just what's going to be optimal from a calorie perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're more insulin sensitive in the morning. You have more digestive enzymes. You have more stomach acid. So your body is set up, you know, that it's, it's just the way our body works is that when your eyes see the sun, you know, and you, your body knows it's daytime, it starts uh, releasing, you know, starting to wake up all the organs. They each, each of our organs, all the cells in our, our body has like these tiny clocks that know when the, when it's time to wake up, it's time to, you know, digest, do their job, whatever it is, like the pancreas releasing enzymes, the stomach releasing stomach acid, digesting the food. So even our gut bacteria have or work on this cycle or circadian rhythm of sleep-wake cycle. So when you're eating late at night, you're causing your body to do things it doesn't want to do, you know. It's not time to digest food. It's time to rest and repair. We we need the time at night to repair our gut lining, to repair our cells, to get rid of toxins, to detoxify, you know. So there's other things your body wants to do at night. When you give it food, you're acting against the natural rhythms of your body. So that's that's why, yeah, again, breakfast. And I always say eat like a, eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince and dinner like a pauper. And that's how you're also working with your body rhythms. I love that, Zaina. I really do. And I would love to keep you here for another two to three hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. So we're going to wrap up with just the one last question uh, before I give people some advice on where they can find you. So what impact would you like to have 
on the people that you work with within the work that you do? Um, I love that question. I think the, the most impact I want to have is to show them that nutrition and a healthy diet is not boring, is not a restrictive. It can fit into their, um, it can fit into a life that is, you know, realistic. Uh, they can find the tools that they work for them. There's, there's multiple tools that they can tap into. And it's just about understanding how their body works. What are these tools and making it work with their lifestyle, making it work with while enjoying uh, life's pleasures and going out and, you know, doing, being social and doing everything they like to do. So a, a realistic approach. Amazing. Amazing. And where's the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up with the work that you're doing? Yeah. So I have an Instagram page up close and healthy and they can reach me there and get all the details to, to get in touch. Amazing. Zaina, this conversation has been amazing. It's been a true pleasure to speak with you. And I think the listeners will have taken away a lot today. Thank you so much for your time. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.